Welcome to our new Front Row podcast series from Faith and Reason, entitled Revelation, The Long Shadow of Biblical Violence. This podcast series is about perhaps the most challenging and controversial book in the New Testament. This third episode, Vengeance and Sacrificial Bloodshed, focuses again on the question, how does Revelation fit with our awareness of the nonviolent historical Jesus? Our podcast guests are Dr. Charlene Sinclair and the Reverend Peter Larman, who approach Revelation from very different positions. Reverend Larman is speaking. I know when I was a preacher, I was it was made very clear to me that um, passages that could be read, the lectionary passages, had to be um, edited. So, for example, Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept. Beautiful, beautiful poetry. Do not use the verses at the end about, uh, so may their babies be smashed up against the walls, right? Can't can't have that. Peter Larman is a retired United Church of Christ minister and activist who led Judson Memorial Church in New York and Progressive Christians Uniting in California. He is currently involved with the King and Breaking Silence webinar project of the National Council of Elders and with the development of a new formation called Social Ethics Energizing Democracy. So I would pick out, uh, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, I would pick out these magnificent images, visions of reconciliation, peace, protection, safety, under with everyone under their own vine and fig tree and under God's protection. But I would leave out um, all the, you know, the blood and gore stuff. I would certainly leave out the the uh, the business about. Um, marching around Jericho and, uh, and uh, you know, conquering because, you know, it's not cool. It's not cool. What do we do about the uncool stuff and how do we keep the cool stuff? I know you have some thoughts along those lines. You know, when you use by the rivers of Babylon, I read that at my dad's funeral. That was, that was the text that, that I read as, as I um, participated in his transition, and uh, and this this is the month of his birthday, so it's it's really, um, it really put me in a in a in a space, and I one of the the things that um, that I said that I still feel in this in these times is that when we read it, um, we have to read it from the place of a people that were conquered. Dr. Charlene Sinclair is an organizer, thinker, and writer whose work centers on the intersection of race, gender, economy, and democracy. Strongly influenced by the path-breaking thought of the late James Cone, Founder of Black Liberation Theology, Dr. Sinclair is committed to fashioning strategies that embrace a liberationist approach to faith and spirituality in the context of popular struggles for racial, economic, and gender justice.
you know, we have to read it from this place where the, the conquered people have been now exiled in a land where they are made to uh, to sing the song of the conquerors, right? Oh. So, you know, so you're, 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 when I talked about it um, at my dad's funeral, it was from the place of, uh, you know, what it has meant for someone that had been in a colonized country to have to come to the U.S., in order to figure out how to live and to mourn for their homeland. You know, so there is there is that constant mourning that happens. And when you think about it from the place of what it means, you know, uh, as a Black person with whose history has, you know, centuries of enslavement, the idea, even the, the the parts that are left out are the parts that actually are a part of people's reality. And so, you know, Toni Morrison's Beloved, you know, is based on the story of a woman that that refused to have her children live in an enslaved state and was prepared to kill her children so that they would not have to suffer the level of that type of violence and degradation. And so, you know, I think that even the process of omitting what's hard is um, the process of the powerful. You get to deny what's hard and, and not have to actually face and confront the pain the anger, the rage, you know, and, and all that happens within it. And so, and, and I think that, you know, we, we want to make God and God's people tidy and, and it's not, you know, it is, it is a struggle. It is complicated. Uh, You know, I, I'm a pacifist. I, you know, I don't own a gun. My family thinks I'm crazy, because they said the world is so harsh and you're, you're leaving yourself so vulnerable. And why do you not have a gun? And I refuse to own a gun because I do not believe in the taking of another life. I don't. And um, and if I were to be honest, there's a lot of people that I just want to punch them in the face, you know, at the same time. Right. And so both things are true that I am a pacifist, I do not believe in taking a life. And I tell you, even to this day, there are a couple of people that if I could get a good swipe at them, man, I'd take them out. And so, but uh, it's, so I do think that um, that complication, uh, the complexity of that, is what we have to, we've got to wrestle with that. Like, it's not tidy, you know? Not um, tidy. It's not. It is, it no. is, it's, you, you know, it's so interesting because, and this goes back to the, the woman in Revelation 12, because I think about Eve uh, and that woman together, right? And 
one of the things was that in childbirth now, you know, with Eve, supposedly that, you know, now it's it's painful. Well, it is freaking painful. It is harsh. It is hard. It is, it is, you know, holds the potential of death around it. And we've tried to make it tidy and neat. And oh, it's so sweet and so wonderful. Oh, you know, how many people die? How hard is it? Like, you know, so we really have to allow ourselves. We can't fix things if we can't face the truth of things. Right. And so, so the Bible's untidiness is is one of its virtues. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, and and that's why we don't put, a, you know, a trigger warning on the cover of the Bible. We say. Um, get into this. Right. If possible, lose yourself in this. But 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 then find yourself, locate yourself. In terms of your own social uh positioning um you know back in the day Brueggemann kind of opened my eyes when he talked about the imperial consciousness with which he was speaking of white americans in particular read the scriptures right um which actually blinds you to a lot of what's what's there um yeah. as as you know as you've been as you've been saying as you've been saying i'm still however i'm still perplexed and worried about how to reach the people who uh who don't let the bible speak to them but who who speak through it yeah and what, you know yeah. and, and and let's you know let's just talk about some of those people we have a new speaker of the house of representatives from the state of louisiana who has kind of you know risen in politics on the basis of how how much hate can you give um mm -hmm. i'm sure he's very unhappy that pope francis says that uh it's okay to baptize transgender people and uh in, include them in various ways that's probably francis is writing his his own uh exit documents uh uh these days the american bishops didn't have a word to say they're like oh they're so stunned he said that but anyway um uh People in religious life, again, I, I I should put heavy air quotes around that. People in religious life uh, are so comfortable, so comfortable with violence and with uh, separation. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how we dig dig that way out because the imperial minded people don't want to let the testimony of the oppressed speak to that they don't want to hear it they are they are literally made in unable to hear it well this is where i would go back to where we started in the book of revelation because it's not just imperial uh, minded people we're all imperial minded people like we we all come out of this cultural reality. We all have been um, fed within this cultural reality. Like we have to struggle so hard against what is normal and natural to us, because that's what that's what 
hegemony is, right? It is the idea. What 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 do they say? Um, the fish don't know it's water or something along those lines. Like when when this is where you are, this is what you live in, this is what you experience all the time. This is your reality. And so the question is one that I've been asking myself, right? Um, and I tease you about, about calling me um, doctor. Uh, you know, I'm like, oh, God, Peter's about to come at me if he says doctor. But, you know, the, the re- reality is that I went to seminary because there are people who believed, you know, and in the work of organizing, we didn't take seriously the fact that they believed. And I wanted to understand that. I wanted to be able to have language around it. I wanted to say, don't hide it. You know, it is not about this this amazing policy that we've now allowed you to have clarity around. It is because you believed in something we can't see right now that makes you do this thing. And that's why I went to seminary. And and now I went to seminary thinking, I'm just going to study this thing and think this thing. Ten years later, I emerged with a doctorate. And I don't speak fully with full-throatedness about my faith. I've given up that turf. Oh, how you're changing many of that us? now. You are changing that now. But think Testify. about how many. Testify. <laughs> You are listening to a Faith and Reason Front Row podcast on the Book of Revelation with Dr. Charlene Sinclair and the Reverend Peter Larman. Front Row is a product of the D.L. Dykes Jr. Foundation. For more information, please visit our website at faithandreason.org and explore our knowledge production programming. We return now to the Vengeance and Sacrificial Bloodshed episode. Dr. Sinclair is speaking. It's true, but so many of us have given up that space. And the people that could fight against those imperial ears, we can't even find each other, right? Mm. We're not, we, we don't even know who we are because we have given up the ground and other people have taken it. And they are shaping, not people outside of us, they're shaping our families, They're shaping mothers to spurn their children. They're shaping siblings to spurn each other because now our belief is grounded in some kind of political thrust. It's not grounded in a place of love. It literally is about, do you agree with me politically? And we have actually given up the idea that we have both a right and an obligation to speak fully and completely about the God we love and what that's calling us into. Like we've given that up and I have given that up. I can't put it on everyone else. I've given that up. And I remember um, for Thanksgiving one year, cause you know, I hang out with the Unitarians and uh, they said, you know, do the, my family said, do the, um, do the blessing for the food. And my son, I think he was like 39 at the time, uh, you know, because he said, 
stop. Do you even, where is Jesus? Do you even believe in Jesus? What is, you know, I didn't hear you say, now this is somebody who hadn't been to church in like maybe 20 years, but he asked me, what is going on here? I don't hear you say a thing about Jesus. And so, and here I've been like in seminary, I believe deeply, whatever, but I had allowed myself to actually stifle that voice. And it was the my son who didn't even go to church anymore that his comment said that he was missing something he wanted and needed. And he was challenging go. me around it. There and you I, go. And I think that's what's happening in the world. There are people that are missing something they want and need, you know, that that have the space for the loss and the grief and the mourning and the rage and then also the possibility, you know, the hope, the love. And and we're not there's not enough of us stepping into that space and um, fully and powerfully, I think. You're, you're touching me. You're touching me where I live. You're touching me in the heart now because I have that same reluctance to uh, kind of claim any authority at all. Um, my my physical trainer, my my gym guy, an uh, ex NFL player, calls me Rev, right, and loudly when I walk in the door. Hey, Rev, how's it going? And so people have come up to me and said, uh, are you a minister? And I say, yeah, but I'm not that kind of minister. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm hiding in my little corner. You know, I led an organization called Progressive Christians Uniting that was started in uh, response to the Christian right. And there was something missing there. And what was missing there was the, you know, the, the, the deeper heart work, I think. It was very heady. It was headed by a theologian I respected a great deal, uh, Dr. John Cobb, still alive at 99, um, published a lot. We published a lot of book. We had seminars. And basically, our stuff was to say they're wrong. You know, they're they're wrong. And that's about kind of as far as we got. And, you know, I I caused a little bit of a ruckus there because I said we need to center our work uh, in the city of Los Angeles in particular and, and with the people suffering the most, the sweatshop workers in, in uh, Koreatown and, and – uh, you know, in all these little illegal factories and the people incarcerated in that gigantic jail system they have. Char Charlene, you remember, you came out there for one of our events. Um, it wasn't a failure, but there wasn't enough, uh, there wasn't enough passion about it. There wasn't enough willingness to say, this tradition belongs to us and in this understanding of it. Interestingly, the other co-founder, was somebody who had that big, big heart, George Regas, an Episcopal priest, who who always changed the greeting. You know, the traditional greeting in the Episcopal Church is, God be with you and also with you. 
Ours was God dwells in you and also with you and also in you. Wow. A, a small but significant huge, huge change. Mm-hmm. But man, I'm with you. I mean, we need to find each other. Desperately need to find each other because you know the time is the time is short. Mm-hmm. That's a you know yeah. thinking about what's being revealed. The apocalypse yeah. of our time. We know the time is short. I know people have said that since forever, but now the time really is short. Yeah, it is. It is. The time is short when you realize that we have returned to a place where we can see the kind of death and destruction of children and uh, and still feel that it is justified. You know, one of the things that this is also the month where um, Tamir Rice was killed while playing in the park. Um, and and I hold that so close. Like I hold that so close um, because increasingly we have gotten to the place of pure expendability of life. You know, and uh, and maybe that's always been the case. Maybe I just I just see it and feel it. It's sharper and clearer. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I knew it always existed in some way. But I used to feel that there were more people saying no. And um, I don't know that I feel that right now. And and. And just the mere thought of it is like brings the tears to the back of my eyes, right? And so I for myself, what am I gonna do? You know, it becomes the the question, what am I going to do? Yeah. Every day. Every, Every day. day. Later this month, I'm gonna preach and uh the topic i told them to put in the newsletter is is nothing sacred can we reset our moral imaginary the church has a lot of professors so i can use words like that yeah moral imaginary but we need a reset i mean i need a reset because i find too often i am numb when i open the new york times in the morning i am just numb yeah. Yeah. You're numb. I don't watch TV most of the week because I find myself crying and I don't think I can keep going, you know, and but we we can't be numb. I used I tell people all the time, you know, because I do a lot of voting work um, in in black communities. And I'll say that the biggest voter suppression mechanism is um, depression. When you don't believe. Absolutely. When you Absolutely. don't believe. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that is the goal, right? Actually, uh, manufactured nihilism is what I call it, right? Yeah. 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 It is. And so I 
there, there's no time like now for us to actually speak about the possibility, the power, the 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 feeling of community and love and a new world literally in formation right now in the midst of all of what is happening. Now, the question, though, becomes, will that new world be anchored on the idea of manifesting God's love or will that new world be a world that has um, the temperament for the expulsion of human life. There you the are. Expulsion of creation. And that's that's where we're going to start next time we talk, right? Um, where is the path? Where is that path? Where is that vital source of hope, that generative power that'll take us to a different place? Yeah. I'm into that. Talk soon. All right. Soon. You've been listening to Part 1, Episode 3 of a Faith and Reason Front Row podcast on the Book of Revelation with Dr. Charlene Sinclair and the Reverend Peter Larman. Visit our website to learn more about these guests and explore additional Faith and Reason podcasts and other educational products at faithandreason.org. Watch for Part 1, Episode 4 of Revelation, Building a Culture of Peace Despite It All releasing soon. You can join our contact list by visiting faithandreason.org. This has been a production of the D.L. Dykes Jr. Foundation.